Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Zen is America's number one nicotine pouch. It's made with only six simple ingredients. Plus, Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day hassle-free trial. There are lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zen.com find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. A tiny baby is dead. Not by natural causes. She's dead because mommy laces her sippy cup with fentanyl. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us. Listen to this. How did the fentanyl get in the cup? I mean, we have some idea. Um, I'm, I'm comfortable that we can charge somebody, and uh, I've authorized that. You are hearing the Allegheny County District Attorney Stephen Zappala talking about evil mommy feeding her baby fentanyl in her sippy cup. The baby is dead. With me, Dr. Daniel Bober, forensic psychiatrist, Joseph Scott Morgan, forensics professor, Jacksonville State University, author of Blood Beneath My Feet, renowned Connecticut lawyer, criminal defense attorney, Mickey Sherman, and with me now, CrimeOnline.com investigative reporter, Larry Maher. Larry, you know what? (laughs) Thanks, Mom. Fentanyl in the sippy cup. The baby is dead, Larry. That's true. The Police arrived at the mother's apartment to find the child unresponsive, um, basically unconscious, not breathing. Her lips had turned blue, and the officers performed CPR on the child, waiting for an ambulance to arrive. As they did, the, the little girl spit up 
a red liquid of some kind. They also noted that what appeared to be blood was in her mouth. It was later determined through autopsy and toxicology results that Charlotte Naper Talley, who was 17 months old, had ingested a deadly dose of the opioid painkiller fentanyl. The drug was also found inside the sippy cup that her mother admits she had given the little girl. And then the mother, whose name is Jania Pratt, and she is 23 years old, clammed up. Police and prosecutors say she has not been particularly helpful as police tried to put together exactly what happened that led up to the death of her little girl. We are talking about the death of a tiny infant after mommy laces her sippy cup with the deadly fentanyl. Joe Scott Morgan with me. Joe Scott, explain what is fentanyl? Fentanyl is uh, very similar uh, in its usage relative to things like heroin. Uh, it's uh, many times has been used as an analgesic, which means it knocks pain down. And Nancy, can I give you one little factoid to put this in, in, in frame for us? Yes. Do you know what happened in August of 2018 relative to fentanyl? It was the first time that fentanyl was actually used in the United States as a component of lethal injection. It was utilized in Nebraska to take a guy's life in prison as part of a death sentence. That's how powerful this drug is. I mean, Mickey Sherman, a veteran defense attorney, fentanyl is sold on the black market. That, along with oxycodone and other drugs that are prescribed by doctors, are now sold illegally like heroin and crack cocaine. It's that powerful. And this mom is putting fentanyl in the baby's sippy cup? As Michael Corleone said in Godfather 2, one thing we've learned is that anybody can kill anybody else. And um, if she didn't use uh, fentanyl, she could have done, done, done something else. It's uh, the intent uh, to kill that, that, that enables someone just to throw everything else to the wind and do what they want to do in order to take this person's life. I started to give you grief about quoting Corleone as your answer, but actually, Mickey, you're absolutely correct. Dr. Daniel Bober forensic psychiatrist, you know, poison or lacing food or drinks with, you know, highly powered medicines is typically a female crime statistically. Yes, that's true, uh, Nancy. And fentanyl, which is a drug that's 100 times stronger than morphine, essentially makes the brain forget to breathe. And so it's hot. It's It's very deadly. And most of the deaths in the opioid epidemic have actually been due to heroin being spiked with fentanyl and not the heroin themselves. So fentanyl is is a very, very lethal drug. You know, I will never forget, uh, which I banned my husband from the medicine drawer after this, the children were having all sorts of like um, allergies and rashes and drippy noses and blah, blah when they were little. You remember, Mickey, how premature they were. You were with me way back when, uh, when the children were born. And I gave them some Benadryl, okay? And then I took them to the only set of bucket swings I could find. And we were out super early in the morning. It was like 7 a.m. I'd been up with them all night. And I was swinging them. I looked at them, and they were both slumped over like sacks of potatoes. And uh, I called David and said, David, this is where they fell asleep in the in the swing. And he went, oh, probably because they gave them Benadryl. I nearly did a backflip because I had given them Benadryl. 
and he was under strict orders to always tell me if he medicated the children or was going to. He's, you know, he's all about OTC, but I'm all about no drugs at all. Over-the-counter drugs, you know, this is the going to be the defense. It's going to be, it was an accident. But hold, hold on. If it were an accident, if it were an accident, why didn't mommy say it was an accident and cooperate with police? Listen to the district attorney. We tried to interview her. She was, she didn't give us any information. Um, it was kind of, I hate to characterize her attitude, except that she was interviewed and, and she was not helpful. And it's her, it's her child. Is that true? Larry Mayher, CrimeOnline.com, investigative reporter. Mommy was uncooperative? Yes. At the time of the, uh, the child's death, she was not very helpful with police. However, there was someone else who was helpful, and that was her boyfriend, who had been in the apartment earlier in the day. He had taken care of the little girl during the morning and early afternoon hours, and then he left. And based on the time of her death, which was early in the evening, uh, prosecutors and police determined that the only person who could have given her the drug was the mother after the boyfriend had left the apartment. Okay, there's a second line of defense, Mickey Sherman. First of all, she's going to say it was an accident. Uh, first of all, she's going to say somebody else did it and try to point the finger at the boyfriend. Then she's going to say, okay, he did it, but if he didn't do it, then it was an accident. That's going to be the defense. I see it right now, Mickey. Especially if she, if she doesn't take the stand. Uh, it'll be easier for the uh, defense attorney to kind of uh, to throw both of the scenarios out there as opposed to having her on the stand and getting uh, pummeled by a prosecutor. Take a listen to what the district attorney says. You put fentanyl in play and somebody dies, I want to see you go to jail. What the sentencing enhancement will do is put somebody in a penitentiary. We are talking about a, a mom now arrested in the fentanyl lace sippy cup case feeding her baby fentanyl the baby is dead and i want justice now we travel to indiana did a man a 23 year old guy marshall s snyder the third aka marshall snyder did he actually crush painkillers very powerful painkillers and sprinkle them into breast milk for a baby girl you know what i want to know with me ashley wilcott atlanta judge lawyer and founder of childcrimewatch.com joseph scott morgan forensics expert author of blood beneath my feet renowned atlanta defense attorney raymond judice karen stark new york psychologist joining us from manhattan and pamela fur crimeonline.com investigative reporter it's hard for me to look at this guy he looks like a Actually, he looks kind of like a spoiled brat college kid to me. But he's actually 23-year-old Marshall S. Snyder III. And apparently, he is suspected of crushing powerful painkillers and putting it in a baby's breast milk? What? Just start at the beginning, Pam. Well, you have this young girl, 18 years old, who is living with her mother and her brother decided to move his fiance and their 11-week-old baby into that house for whatever reason. And the 18-year-old Sarah Rodriguez Miranda was very jealous. She did not want them staying in that house. 
And so she concocted some crazy plan to crush up some pills and put them in the breast milk of that 11-month-old baby. She wanted to kill that baby. She wanted them gone out of the house. And so she started uh, talking to her boyfriend about that and um, was very, very open about what her plans were. And that's how the case started. You know, Pamela Fur, when you explain the motive behind this, it makes the entire thing even more absurd. Take a listen to this. You have the right to the issuance of a service of a warrant of extradition and a writ of habeas corpus to determine the validity of your arrest and detention. Uh, just to put it simply, Ms. Rodriguez, Miranda, you have the right to uh, have it determined that you are these. Sarah Rodriguez Miranda that they are looking for and that they do have charges against you. Do you understand this? Yes. Okay, what you're hearing is a lot of lawyer talk called extradition. It's really simple. Uh, what happens in this case, according to prosecutors, is that a woman is angry. Another woman moves into the home with her 11-week-old baby girl, and she plots revenge. It's crazy. So she and her lover... Marshall Snyder decide to poison the baby dead by putting powerful painkillers into a bottle of breast milk meant for the baby. Now, I can't say that they're crazy in the legal sense because then they flee to Michigan so they won't be caught for this. So they've got the cunning and the wherewithal and the... uh, plan, the machinations of the plan to get away, knowing they've done this bad thing. They're caught. Now they're being extradited. Ray Judice, extradition is really simple. They're caught in Michigan. They're not determining in court whether they're guilty, whether there's probable cause, motive, nothing. All they have to do is say, are you Marshall Snyder? And are you the Marshall Snyder in this warrant? That's all they've got to decide. And then they're sent back home to face charges. Well, that's right. And the judge will normally say, uh, sir or madam defendant, I am not telling you that we think you're guilty of anything. Uh, This is not a conviction. This is a extradition warrant from whatever state. Do you wish to have a full-blown extradition hearing and challenge it? Or do you wish to waive that? And the uh, Ford LTD will be here in the morning to drive you back to whatever state at 150 miles an hour with the blue lights on so that you can defend yourself and face whatever charges that other state has. So it's it's just a procedural transfer. However, there is a, a, a some advantage to the defendant in fighting the extradition if you have good counsel or the resources, because you can make the, the opposing state that wants to or the state that wants to bring you back has to at least flesh out the basis of the warrant um, just a little bit. And it may give you a little insight. Most of the time, folks waive ex- formal extradition hearings and get transferred back uh, immediately. And partly that's because they're on the run. They don't have counsel. Their family's not there. And they're, you know, they're in some state prison in, across the country and they just want to get back to where they where they think safe ground will be. You know, in this case, Joseph Scott Morgan, in in their wisdom, the two got a full bottle of Excedrin and crushed it up to feed the baby. What effect would that have had on the baby? It's that that we know of. I don't know what else they've put in there. Just so that folks at home know what this consists of, we're talking about acetaminophen, which is like Tylenol. We're talking aspirin, and we're talking caffeine. 
acetaminophen, what would have happened with this child? It would have literally shut that sent the kid into what we refer to as hepatic failure. In other words, it would have shut this child's liver down. For for aspirin, there's all kinds of contraindications for this, particularly when you uh, you administer to a very tiny baby. Nancy, we're talking about a very powerful over-the-counter analgesic to knock down pain. Uh, too much aspirin can literally lead a child or put a child into a state of coma. Back to Pamela for CrimeOnline.com investigative reporter. So how did they manage to track the two down in Michigan? They had text messages. Uh, that they had exchanged between each other, Marshall Snyder and the young 18-year-old. So the mother had seen the messages. So as they were looking for them, they found his family in Fort Wayne, Indiana. That's where they fled to, I'm sorry, in Michigan. They went from Fort Wayne, Indiana to Michigan. That's where his family lived, and that's how they were able to track him down. Um, And these text message exchanges, I'm telling you, Nancy, it's just, very disturbing. Well, you're right. The text messages sent by Sarah to Marshall Snyder are damning. I'm quoting, quote, I'm going to crush up some of these pills since she decided they can stay longer and kill their baby. That That's not all. The documents that we have obtained out of Allen County Circuit and Superior Courts in Indiana explain how the woman, Sarah Rodriguez Miranda, actually researched how much over-the-counter pain medication it would take to kill someone, then crushed multiple painkillers and put the powder in a bottle of breast milk. We also know she sends her boyfriend, Marshall Snyder, a picture of a mortar and pestle set containing the white concoction. Now, that also is according to court documents. She says, I put the stuff in a made bottle in the fridge. In another text, she writes, Yeah, I thought it was funny that I don't have an ounce of guilt. It seems as if in the early morning hours, Sarah Miranda's mother, who wisely monitors her daughter's phone and social media messages, sees a text exchanged between her daughter and Marshall Snyder, the boyfriend. The mother took pictures of the messages, then went in the kitchen and open the refrigerator door. And there she finds two baby bottles. One was darker in color with a greenish ring and a residue that had settled at the bottom. She put both the bottles into a grocery bag, uh, put them both in a Ziploc bag, and she took the grandbaby wisely, along with the child monitor, to a nearby emergency room to immediately have the baby checked for poisoning. It's disturbing, very disturbing. You have this 18-year-old girl who is jealous of this 11-month-old baby saying things like, yeah, you know, I don't even feel any guilt at all. She took a picture of where she had crushed up the pills and put it in this text message to her boyfriend and said, I feel no guilt at all. She then sent another text message saying, oh, my God, the bottles aren't in the refrigerator. I'm so excited. Things like this in these text messages. And that's eventually what led to them, the the police finding them in Michigan. Yeah, you're right. She texts, OMG, I forgot to tell you, the bottle is gone. She was so happy those bottles had been taken out of the refrigerator. Ashley Wilcott, founder of ChildCrimeWatch.com. One of the text messages states, I hope she dies. 
Oh, yeah. She does not hide her intentions in these text messages at all. The good news for the prosecution is certainly, again, it shows the premeditation. She she had no qualms killing this child. Here's what's interesting to me, Nancy. In most of these cases, it is someone's own child that they are killing. In this particular case, it is it is her niece. It is not even her own child. And there's this new comic. I don't know if you've heard about it. It's all about the special relationship between aunts or aunts or aunties and their nephew or niece. And so there's this, this whole philosophy and statistics around what a special relationship that is. And here you have an aunt who honestly, honestly, you, you wouldn't believe the text and the extent to which she goes to say, hey, I'm happy to do this. I'm proud to do this. I'm going to kill their baby. Then the girl starts questioning why the baby the infant is still alive. Quote, why didn't that baby die, dude? That's dumb. Now we wait as justice unfolds for Marshall Snyder III. The baby lived. But now what will happen to him and his so-called girlfriend? An Ohio boy who runs away after witnessing his father's murder. Miracle after months and months being gone. This boy has been found alive. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us. The Ohio boy vanishes over a year ago as he witnesses his father being gunned down. I'm talking about Jacob Caldwell. Joining me from the Dayton Daily News, Richard Wilson, former federal prosecutor Francie Hakes, Psychologist and lawyer, host of Investigation Discovery's hit show, Fatal Vows, Dr. Brian Russell, Jason Oceans, renowned New York attorney, and Mark Class, victim's advocate, founder of Class Kids. Straight out to Richard Wilson. First, Richard, I want you to take a listen to Robert Caldwell's 911 call just days before his own murder. Yeah, I got a, a guy chasing me over here on Sutton in Jamestown. Um, and he's, he's just trying to lure me. Uh, I'm assuming he's trying to kill me. Do you know who it is? Yeah, I do. And who is this? Who's the guy? His name's Sterling Roberts. He's my ex-boyfriend. And they just lost full custody of all our kids. Go back to the Jamestown Police Department. We'll have a deputy meet you there, okay? Okay, I'm going to call my wife. You are hearing the voice of Robert Caldwell desperately calling 911 just days before his own murder. Straight out to Richard Wilson with the Dayton Daily News. Richard, I think we better take this from the beginning. How did this whole thing start, Richard Wilson? As you hear in that 911 call, uh, Robert Caldwell called 911 reporting that his ultimate uh, accused killer, Sterling Roberts uh, was stalking him and, in fact, pulled a gun on him. He believed his life was in danger at that point, and that was actually two weeks prior to his own death. Two weeks prior to his own death. Richard Wilson, describe to me the death of the victim. The victim uh, was out with his three sons. They were in a public place in a uh, community called Riverside here near Dayton. And I think it was around six o'clock that evening. It was still very light out. Robert was approached uh, by the gunman and shot and killed in front of his three sons outside uh, near a office building. One of his sons, uh, after it happened, ran to a nearby restaurant uh, to report what happened. You know, I'm just thinking about the horrific trauma a child would go through standing there in the driveway I believe you said Richard with your father as he is gunned down in cold 
blood. I still wake up at night thinking about my dad being gone. And my dad passed away, as, and I'm an adult, and I'm still upset about it. To Dr. Brian Russell, seeing your father gunned down right in front of your eyes, no wonder the boy went running away and has been gone for a year hiding. Yeah, most of us can't even imagine what that would be like and what that would do to us seeing that even as adults, as you said. So imagine at that age of your life, uh, being 15 is a... It's a tough age when everything's going right. Six people have now been indicted for this twisted murder plot, including an ex-wife. Well, explain to me, Richard Wilson from the Dayton Daily News, the wife is already an ex. Well, why does she care if her ex-husband lives or dies? Explain to me. Well, it's my understanding that uh, they were involved in a heated custody battle over the children, uh, which was settled in July of 2017. That's a month prior to uh, Robert being shot and killed. Uh, the judge ultimately decided to grant custody to Robert and his new wife. Uh, so it's our, our understanding that that uh, appears to be a factor in the motivation of his murder. Guys, we are talking about the death of the dad and the disappearance of the boy, Jacob Caldwell. Take a listen to what Robert Caldwell's brother, Tyler, has to say. They were in love when they were married, and, you know, he cared about her, and, you know, he tried to start a family and, you know, do the right thing. My brother called me one day and, and was upset uh, and said, I, I finally found it. And, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what he was talking about, and he said, you know, check your email. It's, it's, it's pictures of Tani's escort website. Um, that she created. You know, he said that he, he was done. I mean, this was kind of the last straw with Tani and, and that, you know, he had to get out of there and, and move on with his life. It sounds like their relationship was a nightmare. He's referring to his wife, Tawny Roberts. Take a listen to what his mom said. My understanding is he was walking out of the counseling with the kids with him. And this guy, he came out of somewhere and he shot my son many, 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 many times. All Bobby cared about really in life was being a good father and a good husband to his wife, Candace. That was his whole purpose in life. He's a beautiful person. He didn't deserve that at all. He was just taking his kids to counseling. He was trying to help them. You are hearing his mom speak. And it goes to show Francie Hakes, former federal prosecutor, that there is no love like a mother's love, even when the child, the son, is is grown. And you hear the pain in her voice talking about the death of her son, now a father himself trying to start a new life, Francie. That's a terrible case, Nancy. I mean, all I can think is the horrific irony of him taking his children to therapy so that they can deal with all the upset of these custody battles and the divorce, and then having them have to witness their lives and their parent being blown apart. And one of the other things that bothers me, Nancy, about this case I've read recently is that when they found this boy, Jacob, this eyewitness to the murder of his father, they tossed him in juvenile detention. I don't understand it. I, I, I don't understand it either. I think it's an incredible miracle that he was found. Mark Class, this is your expertise. This little boy had been missing for over a year after witnessing his father gunned down. 
Well, Matthew, a little context. First of all, everything I understand about Robert Caldwell is that he was an excellent man and a, and a superior father, and that everything that he did, the extended custody battles, the counseling, even the remarriage was really about ensuring the safety of his children, that his children had an opportunity to grow up and, and have safe lives. And unfortunately, he got with a thuggish family full of psychopaths because all of the people, with the exception of the, the boyfriend, all of the people that have been indicted in this case are from the mother's family. And apparently the ex-wife, the mother, Tawny, who had a softcore porn site, was calling all of the shots in this case. She was directing absolutely everybody. And the home where they found little Jacob was a home that was associated with friends of uh, the ex-mother's family. So these people are evil beyond compare. And they took a wonderful guy out and have obviously traumatized uh, these three young men. And particularly, I think, Jacob, given the fact that he was living in proximity of the family of his, of his father's killer for that entire time. You know what's amazing to me? Richard Wilson joining me with the Dayton Daily News. The whole family is indicted in his murder. How did the whole family agree to be part of a murder plot, Richard Wilson? Well, I don't know that uh, all those that are indicted, the ones at least that are charged with aiding and abetting, uh, whether they knew the entire scope of what was about to happen. So I think it's very possible that they were assisting and helping in ways that they you know, didn't know exactly why. Well, it's hard for me to believe that they had no idea what was going on and the coincidence of the timing of the murder because Robert had just been awarded custody and then two weeks later he's dead he gets awarded custody then he calls 911 and names the people he thinks are trying to kill him they're following him around town calls 911 then still nothing is done to protect him and he's dead and the little boy runs away in the last day's miracle. The little boy has been found. For some reason, they throw him in juvenile detention. I wonder if this was the icing on the cake that Robert Caldwell had finally found a new love in his life. Listen. I remember like it was yesterday when he got full custody. It was a very exciting day. Uh, we had just bought a new house, so... All, of the, all the kids could have their own rooms and everything. You are hearing the voice of Robert's new wife, Candace Caldwell. Now, I want to figure out how the boy has stayed missing in hiding for over a year. Mark Class, what do you understand about it? He wasn't being held against his will, for one thing. He had the ability to come and go as he pleased. And he didn't seem particularly traumatized when the authorities finally found him. Um, but then on the other hand, the authorities were doggedly looking for him. There, were, uh, there was a reward that was being offered. There were billboards that were up. Uh, they were following credible leads. And in fact, the credible lead um, because of the reward is what led to his recovery. He was obviously coerced, Nancy. Uh, he was obviously coerced and, and manipulated in ways that were far beyond his control. In this scenario, I'm amazed the boy is even still alive. How did it unfold? Take a listen. And yesterday afternoon, received a call from an individual, felt that they had information at the possible location where Jacob could be. Detective Steyer and, and the FBI agent met with that individual. Um, they were a little hesitant uh, to come forward in the sense that they, they didn't want their identity out there. So we assured them that that, that wouldn't be a problem. 
um, got some information from her. It seemed very credible. There had some uh, some of the details that was given to us were pretty specific. So we started looking into the possibility of where this location is, um, the jurisdiction, and, and possibly getting a warrant. Um, got a, got additional information a little later in the evening that possibly he was going to be moved. Um, so we we bumped up our our timeline quite a bit. Um, got the Got a uh, warrant signed uh, late last evening, and uh, just before midnight, we served a warrant at, at a location in Miami Township. Four adults were inside, uh, and we found Jacob in the basement. Uh, not that he was hiding there. I don't think he was necessarily hiding at that moment from us. Um, that appeared to be where his primary uh, area of sleeping was. That is how it all unfolded. According to police, they received a call from a female who said she had information about where they could find the missing boy. Four individuals taken into custody. Listen. We were able to get him. We got four adults. Uh, uh, Jacob's currently over at um, the Green County Juvenile Detention Center. Right now he's in under the, an unruly warrant that was through the city of Beaver Creek. Uh, but we're, we're certainly get our charges through um, through the township where he actually was missing from. To Richard Wilson with the Dayton Daily News, why is he in juvenile detention? Uh, the lawyer representing his uh, legal custodian uh, tells us that you know the court is looking out for his welfare and wants to get counseling for him. So he had this previous unruly charge. That was a warrant issued prior to him running away this time, uh, and that is is the pretense of why he's being held there at this point. But I think the overall concern is just his welfare. Uh, as you can imagine, he's an eyewitness to a murder. Uh, he's certainly been through a lot over the last year or so, and he's very important to um, the prosecutor's case. Uh, so I think they you know want to make sure he's he's okay and he's accounted for. I mean, think about it, Mark Class. He's witness to murder. If that mother, his mother, would gun down the father of her children and enlist her family to help her, there's six people indicted for that murder. Mm -hmm. What would she do to him? I mean, even from behind bars, he is a state's chief witness about who murdered his father. Well, he's one of three witnesses, certainly. And I I I don't imagine that the reason that she targeted him um, for kidnapping, because ultimately I think that's probably what occurred there, um, although he did seem to go voluntarily. But I don't think the fact that she targeted him for that was to keep him from testifying. I think that she probably had other deeper, more twisted motivations involved and certainly things that I can't fathom. Well, you know, to you, uh, Richard Wilson with the Dayton Daily News, we also know that there's going to be, I predict, a treasure trove of cyber evidence because from what i can understand the ex-wife the one that had the uh, porn site tawny roberts her boyfriend sterling roberts allegedly cyber stalked robert caldwell the murder victim via his cell phone with the assistance of that lovely lady the ex-wife tawny caldwell so there should be a, a trail a mile wide through text messages, phone calls, and so forth. Some of that evidence is actually coming uh, to light through the lawsuit uh, that has been filed uh, by Robert's widow, particularly related to that uh, 911 call and the incident that happened two weeks prior to his murder. You know, to Francie Hakes, former federal prosecutor, I want to follow up on what Richard Wilson is telling us. 
Apparently, uh, the wife, the ex, Tony Caldwell, also accused of destroying contents and data of a cell phone. Hello? A lot of that can still be retrieved, Francie. It can be. Forensic tools are pretty amazing, and I suspect that they've got their forensic analysts out there looking through everyone's computer and everybody's phone in order to find evidence. And I think, Nancy, one of the significant things in this case that you heard in that last clip you played from the police was they were saying that they got a warrant and went into this house because they had information the boy, quote, was about to be moved. Not that the child was going to run away again, but was about to be moved. There's no doubt in my mind, based on that evidence, if it's true, that the child was being held. And I think there's really only one reason for it. Perhaps of the three eyewitnesses, he had the best vantage point, or he's the one who knows more information. And that's why he was targeted for the kidnapping. And his own mother, his own family, it looks like, have kept him out of school for a year. He's had no contact with his friends. This was a child who'd been isolated and probably brainwashed. The other people charged are Chance P. Deacon, Christopher Roberts, James Harmon, and Chandra Harmon. Who are these people, these other people charged, Richard Wilson, in addition to the ex-wife, Tawny Roberts, and her boyfriend, Sterling? Who are these other people? Uh, As far as I understand, they are simply associates of the mother, uh, Tawny Caldwell, um, you know, friends and uh, associates. I don't know that there are any familial ties there. I, I, you know, I first thought her family was roped in on this, but it looks to me like it's more associates, not necessarily family. According to the FBI, Caldwell and Chandra Harmon conspire to intimidate and threaten witnesses. So it, it's like these people think they're living in the wild, wild west according to the FBI, threatening witnesses while the one boy has gone missing, hiding out. That boy, little Jacob Caldwell, has been found. Nancy Grace, Crime Stories, signing off. Goodbye, friend. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human-moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Saturdays are for sunshine, especially for your ears. With another election, ongoing wars, and natural disasters, we know the news can be a lot to take in. 
and we're determined to share the bright side of humanity. Every Saturday, take a breather from the headlines and hear all the uplifting happenings across the world with Five Good Things, a new weekend edition of CNN Five Things. That means you can find this goodness in the same feed as Five Things. Listen to Five Good Things on the iHeartRadio app.